0: On Local Now, Channel 525.
1: It's time for the Michelle Tafoya podcast.
0: So, Paula Scanlon has joined a, a slow but surely growing number of women who are speaking out to save women's sports, to say, look, women's sports are for biological women, not biological men who become or who transition and are trans women. There is a difference. It's chromosomal. It's in the DNA, etc. Paula Scanlon swam on the Penn swim team with Leah Thomas. She's going to tell us the entire story from when she found out that this was going to happen, that her she was a, welcoming a teammate of another um, biological sex and how it went from there and why she's now decided to join this chorus of voices to try to save women's sports. It's as simple as that. Paula Scanlon, welcome. I'm so glad to talk to you. You have only recently started, you know, sharing your experience at Penn swimming with Leah Thomas. And I'm just wondering what finally made you decide, and I know you've been asked this a lot, but for our listeners who may not know your story, what made you decide to start talking
2: Yeah, so a lot of it was in the last year. I really thought being removed from the situation would help me kind of spread, like keep my distance from it and say, oh, I don't really care anymore. But in the year between graduating and coming forward, I saw this continue to happen to other girls. I saw this happening not just in sports, but in women's prisons, in women's domestic violence shelters, and a lot of places. And then I kind of said to myself, if I have this opinion that's so strong, but I'm not willing to speak about it, then why is it worth even having that opinion? And in that like period of self-reflection, I realized that I feel so strongly about this means that I do need to speak about it. And eventually that led me to to my decision of coming forward and sharing my story. And it's been very relieving to be able to do so. I feel like a heavy weight has been lifted off my shoulder for for telling the truth.
0: I bet. I bet it's been liberating. And when you say talk about this, we're talking about trans women competing in women's sports or as you mentioned, uh, being put into the... Women's prisons or, uh, you know, wherever women <laughs> are supposed to be protected, it seems, um, we are seeing this slow creep of biological men who now identify as women coming in and making these women feel unsafe. Let's start with your story. You're a swimmer at Penn. You, your whole family went to Penn. Uh, when did you first hear that Leah Thomas was going to go from competing on the men's team to to competing on the women's team
2: in the beginning of the school year in 2019. So around September, 2019, we had a team meeting that was separate from the men's team. And um, I noticed a member of the men's team was sitting there named Will Thomas. And we're like, Oh, I wonder why Will's hanging back here. And our coach goes, Will, this is your meeting. And I said, that's very odd that a member of the men's team is running a women's team meeting. And in this meeting, Will Thomas told us that they would be transitioning to the women's team. And they're going to be on the men's team for the remainder of the season. But starting the next season, they would be part of the women's team. And just said, I now go by she, her pronouns. And that was it. It was a very brief five-minute meeting. There was no opportunity for questions. It was just we were told and everybody got right into the pool right afterwards. And it was like nothing ever happened. So we knew for a long time. And at that point, I really started reading scientific papers. I said, what is the NCAA policy that even allows this? Um, So at that point, I really started deep diving into what that looked like. And I immediately knew it was unfair.
0: Yeah, I, I I would guess that the reaction among the entire women's team was a little bit of shock. This is the first time most of us have heard of anything like this happening. So did you talk among yourselves? What was the, you said you jumped right into the pool after the meeting, but Later, was there any discussion amongst you like, what is happening here?
2: Yeah, one-on-one conversations, or would be girls that were saying, you know, oh, I, I understand biology and I don't think men, you know, should be able to compete on the women's team. But a lot of it was dismissed because it was like, oh, it's only, it's still a year away. And then because of COVID, it ended up being two years from mm. when we first found out. So a lot of people just dismissed it. I think there's, there's always hope that, you know, that's just not going to happen. And I, I I told a lot of my friends, I had a lot of friends on different sports teams. I was in college Republicans. I had friends in college Republicans and I would tell them this. And they said, Paula, you're making things up. It's not true. Like you're just trying to get a kick out of everyone. And I was like, no, like, I'm pretty sure we're going to be having a member of the men's team switch over to the women's team. But it's one of those things that nobody will believe you until it actually happens. And then mm-hmm. once it happens, it's, it's already too late. So, you know, it was it was a situation where, you know, I wanted to have had conversations about this beforehand. I wanted to try to come to a fair solution, but because people don't believe it till they see it, it was already past the point of no return.
0: So, was it really like once it started, was there really no recourse, no discussion, no questioning, no uh hey, what about this entire team of women and we, we we're not we don't agree with it was there nothing was or I mean and why was that
2: well people who went to our coach one-on-one obviously he would never say this stuff to everyone but if you had a one-on-one conversation he he acknowledged there's difference of opinion he acknowledged that some people might think this is unfair and he just said basically like I'm here and I allow this to happen if I ban Leah from the team they're just gonna fire me and bring in a coach that will allow Leah on the team. So it was a situation where it was very much, you know, even if our coach wasn't the one who allowed it to happen, they would have found somebody that would have. Um, And again, it's all the NCAA policy, unfortunately. The policy said a one-year transition, hormones, whatever that entails. And Leah abided by that rule. That was the rule. They weren't going to make a mid-season change because that in some ways is, in any sport, you can't really change the rules mid-season. It doesn't work that way. So it was, you know, like you're following the rules. What can you do? So I, yeah. I do really blame the NCAA for that part because they didn't have a adequate policy to keep fairness in women's sports.
0: And, and you know, you think, okay, they didn't have a policy, probably because they never could have foreseen anything quite like this. So, you know, COVID ends, you go back, you start the next season with Leah on the team. Um, what were some of the issues? What were some of the 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 problems that the rest of the team felt were happening and weren't being addressed?
2: Yeah, so swimming is a limited roster sport. So every single meet that we go to, there's only a certain number of people that can go. And that's the same as on a soccer team, on a field hockey team, on any other sport, right? There's a n- number of people that can be on the field, a number of people that can be on the bus, a number of people that can be on, the, on in the pool, whatever it might be. And something that was hard for people was, having these limited roster situations where someone would be like people would be left off the bus and there's multiple girls that don't get taken on these trips, but thinking, Hmm, was I the first person who would have been there? Was I the person who was my spot was taken from? And then the same thing with realize only four girls can be on the relay. And there's a lot of um, people who had previously been on realize that weren't allowed to be anymore because Leah was on the team. So I think just that feeling of losing your spot and that's even on our team. and then we're actually benefiting from Leah being on our team in terms of scoring. And then I can't even imagine how the other girls in the Ivy League and these other schools that had to race against Leah feeling, okay, well, I would have been second, or I would have been first, but now I'm third. Now I'm second. So it just affects so many different people. It hurt people on my team. It hurt people on other teams. It hurt people who had to share a locker room with Leah. And that's what people are saying is, oh, this is so small. Why do you care about all these trans athletes, or whatever. This one singular person affected an entire team of 35 plus girls and the entire Ivy League and everyone who swam the same events at the NCAA. Right. That is hundreds of people that are affected by one terrible decision and policy that allowed one person to compete. And that's what people don't
0: realize. And I think what you just said is really important. You said one terrible policy. You're not saying one terrible person. We have no problem with Leah Thomas or anyone else. That's what I. I I find, and I wonder how you combat this because a lot of people just boil this down to, oh, you're homophobic, which has nothing to do with this. What this has to do with is simple biology and fairness. So when people come up with that response, like you're just against Leah and it's, no, it's the policy. It was how unfair it is. And you've just articulated how many people were affected. So have you have you gotten the transphobe uh, backlash? Yeah, all the time. People yeah. are accusing me
2: of things. They're saying I am trying to ban uh, ge- uh, gender affirming care. All of these things, and, I, and I've I've made this very clear in a lot of my interviews and everything. Is I don't I don't have any hate for anyone who's going through something as terrible as feeling that you are born in the wrong body and that you have gender dysphoria. I think those people need to be treated with love and care and support and given the right kind of resources to help them get through what they're going through um but people who are at fault in this situation are institutions like the ncaa like the university of pennsylvania like all these other schools that have allowed for this delusion to continue right so you can when you first find out a member of the men's team wants to transition to the women's team i think the first step should be okay why do you feel that way and really talk to them and dive down why they feel that way instead of saying oh of course you can here are hormones you should take for a year and then you'll be allowed to do that i don't think that that's the right solution and i think. Going forward, that's really what we need to attack, not these people that are coming into the women's sports, not these people that believe that they're born in the wrong body. So definitely.
0: Is, swimming is not the only sport this has affected. Certainly Leah Thomas got the lion's share of attention because <laughs> of her success at NCAAs and, and, and the like. Uh, and this is a high-profile university, Penn, and a high-profile um, league, the Ivy league. So obviously there was a lot of, but we are seeing this a lot in cycling. Even <laughs> I've heard it's even happening in, in poker. Now I'm not sure, you know, poker, it's your mind that's working. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but look, we've established women's and men's divisions for a reason. And, and, and that is for fairness and for, you know, trying to equal out the, level, the playing field, for for athletic and other competitions um you you've since become part of you know sort of this growing group i i've i've talked to riley Gaines a couple times and she has said to me i feel far more support than i do backlash what's your experience been so far
2: yeah i would say so there's definitely been a lot of support Um, I've had girls from high school that I wasn't even very close with reach out to me and tell me that they support me. I had a kid I went to middle school with that I haven't spoken to since maybe 2013. It's been 10 years. He reached out. Um, My parents' friends have reached out to me. There have been plenty of support. And of course, there's always people who doubt this. But that really shows me how this issue is not a right like Republican issue. There are so many people on both sides of the aisle that agree that women deserve equal treatment and women deserve rights. And there's a really small minority that believes that biological men entering women's spaces is right. Um, So I think that's, that's really shown me. I, I was very surprised by not just the number of people that reached out, but how certain people who are on the left side of the aisle have reached out to me and also told me that they support me.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're you're spot on there. We've seen that this crosses the ide- ideological aisle, if you will. Um, what is the situation now at Penn and in the Ivy League? And do you see any hope for you know are are things moving in the direction that you had hope they would, or are we still really in a in a big sort of battle situation here?
2: So the NCAA has what I like to say punted the problem, they keep, even during the season, they said, oh, well, USA swimming hasn't made a policy about this. So USA swimming is the United States um, swimming body, right? So they make the decisions on, if you swim in the United States and you're a citizen of the U.S. and you swim, you're under USA swimming jurisdiction in high school and middle school, so on. Um, And so they said, oh, USA swimming doesn't have a rule, so it's not going to be an issue." Um, because it's not our problem. Like USA Swimming says that this is fair. So then USA Swimming actually made a policy during the season. And then NCAA said, oh, actually, we're not going to adopt that because it's midseason; We can't
0: make a change. Right.
2: And the NCAA at this point has said, I'm just going to go with what the governing body of every single sport says. So yes, now swimming has actually fixed this issue, but other sports have it. And they just said, oh, well, it's up to them. So it's very much a decision where Multiple different people will say, oh, well, it's just the NCAA saying that. And the NCAA will say, oh, well, what are they saying? And they kind of go back and forth. And no one really makes a blanket policy, which I think we should have for fairness for everyone. Because just because you're competing in a different sport doesn't mean you don't deserve the same fairness that somebody in a different sport might get. Right. So it's it's really hard. And I I don't like that it's that still that way. And they haven't made enough changes.
0: Being on this team with Leah... Um, you talked about how different teammates spoke to one another, but how did you work to accept the situation as it was? How, how did you come to sort of some sense of peace for that season that Leah was on the team and, and, and I don't know if you embraced it or just, um, lived with it, but how did you come to some sort of like, okay, here, here's where we are. This is what we've got to do. How How were you able to do that?
2: So the biggest thing that people don't realize is the Ivy League canceled all athletic competition from the 2020 to 2021 school year. So every single athlete in every sport did not have a season that year before. Mm -hmm. And so I think the biggest thing was a lot of people were very excited to just be back to normal classes. That fall 2021 semester was the first time I had taken an in-person class since my sophomore, since January of my sophomore year, February Mm -hmm. of my sophomore year. Right, and I was a senior at that point. So that year and a half period of no athletic competition, of um, no in-person classes, and then finally coming back was just really exciting for a lot of people. And I think that really helped overshadow what was going on because they said, "Oh, well, I don't care that this is happening to our team. You know, I finally get to be back in the pool with my teammates, and I get to be back in the classroom in person." So I think that kind of helped cover it up a little bit.
0: Let me shed some light on something for you. It's your dark spots. Do you see them in the mirror? The age spots, the sunspots, whatever they happen to be. They're not going to go away on their own. So introducing the dark spot remover from GenuCell. Right in time for the last months of summer, the dark spot corrector with not one, but three cutting edge ingredients. It goes to work to target sunspots, dark spots, liver spots, and even old discoloration on your hands, on your face. You're going to be amazed at how fast this works. You can now enjoy your summer sun, the beach, barbecues, picnics, without the embarrassing spots. With Genucel, you'll see the results or your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. So go to Genusel.com right now. Get your dark spot corrector with the new Genucel most popular package now featuring summer essentials like the best-selling ultra-retinol moisturizer with a powerful retinol alternative for safe use in the summer sun. Visit GenuCell.com slash Michelle right now for these amazing summer essentials and save 70% off genucel's most popular package. Don't wait. Order genucel's most popular package now, free shipping, free returns, and the best luxury skincare you've ever used at all at 70% off. Go to g e n u c e l dot com slash Michelle with one L. M-I-C-H-E-L-E. GenuCell.com slash Michelle. All orders will include a mystery luxury gift while supplies last. GenuCell.com slash Michelle. Riley, it's a testament to technology and social media that I'm sitting here looking at this tweet from Jonathan Sines out of Texas saying, Super excited to have Riley Gaines of the Independent Women's Forum here in Texas to support Save Women's Sports Bill SB 15. And uh, you are fresh (laughs) off of testifying. You're everywhere these days. So thanks for spending the time. What did you say today in in Texas?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. And and I totally agree. This is a true testament to technology. I know we were talking (laughs) off air. If you could see my setup on my phone right now, it's hilarious. Um, But I'm here testifying in Texas. Texas has previously, I believe last year, they passed um, legislation that would protect fairness in women's sports. Um, K through 12, but they didn't have that collegiate level protected. And so I, of course, vowed to be here if that was something they would be putting forward, because I understand why it's so important to protect that collegiate level. These are the girls who, um, I mean, we've worked our whole lives to get to that point, the highest level you can compete, essentially. It needs to be protected. We shouldn't face um, unfair competition. And so I'm here. I shared my experience. I shared um, what the competition looked like, what the locker room looked like, what the silencing piece looked like, because these are things that a lot of people won't talk about. And a lot of these representatives don't know if someone was, won't tell them explicitly. Um, and so that's why I'm here. It's been great. They're still testifying on the floor right now. There are 57 people signed up to testify. Um, wow. So really great stuff.
0: Uh, you know, it's interesting. And You talk about how young women have worked their whole lives. Now, I covered two Olympic Games where I covered two Team USA swim teams. And I can tell you that talking to these athletes, watching them, it is grueling. Now, the men do it too. Women, you know, they do their training. The men do it too. But here's the difference. When you suddenly in college decide, I'm not having success or whatever is behind your decision to transfer into a women's team, suddenly it's a very different story. You are now taking all those years of having trained as a male and jumping into the women's pool and saying, I'm going to compete with you. So by my account and what I believe in from everything I've read, Riley, and I think you agree, there is no amount of hormone therapy, uh, puberty blockers, whatever it is. Let's talk about the case of Leah Thomas that would have diminished everything Leah Thomas did before she became Leah Thomas. So building muscle, competing as a male, all of that stuff, this to me was absurdity. It was the height of absurdity. So now you've got people like Brittany Griner saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die on this hill. I'm going to fight for transgender rights. No one is saying that transgender athletes shouldn't compete. It's a matter of what lane, <laughs> to, to use a pun, in which they should compete. So how, how did you take Brittany's, Brittany Griner's remarks in the last couple of days?
1: It just blows my mind. You have people like Brittany Griner. You have someone like Megan Rapinoe and those 37 other athletes who signed on. You have someone like Billie Jean King, who was once a crusader for women's sports. We really have Billie Jean King to a credit for Title IX. And these women are now coming out. Of course, they're either done playing or at the end of their career. And of course, none of these three ladies I've mentioned, they don't have daughters to defend. Um, so hearing them advocate for male inclusion in women's sports and women's spaces and like locker rooms, it's just disingenuous. It's to me, again, knowing these women are done playing or on the verge of being done playing, they have nothing to lose. Um, they would rather be kind and inclusive in virtue signal, but in reality, it's not inclusive to allow men into our sports. It's, it's exclusive. It's exclusive to the very female athletes who title IX was passed to protect um, and I want to touch on the misconception you mentioned about, you know, something that I've, I've seen time and time again, traveling state to state like I'm doing right now, um, both at the federal and state level. We saw it at the federal level last week when um, the U.S. House of Representatives voted on this and not one Democrat voted um, in favor of protecting women and girls. What they constantly say is this is this is a hate bill. It bans trans athletes from playing. <sighs> Just like you mentioned, this does not ban anyone. I do not believe anyone, regardless of your age, your race, your sex, your gender identity, your sports you're playing, no one should be banned from playing sports. Is, that's the silliest assumption ever. Everyone is entitled to fair and safe play, and that's exactly what these state bills, that's exactly what Title IX was passed to protect, and these federal bills wow. that are going through, that's what this argument is, is about. It's fairness.
0: Yep, It's pretty simple as that. And you went to... U C San Francisco to make this argument to appear on stage, and this is when your profile skyrocketed. You were there speaking. If you don't mind, I'd love to go through the timeline. You arrive on campus. Were you facing any headwinds as you you know before you even got to San Francisco to to make this speech? So I knew San
1: Francisco would, of course, be a different environment. Um, I'm from Tennessee, so I, I knew. <laughs> You know, what I'm used to at home, the people in my community, um, that's very different than the demographic and the environment in San Francisco. And I knew this. Of course, I was aware and I thought I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew there would be protesters. I had already heard of counter events that were going on in opposition to me being there. Um, But truthfully, in a sense, this, this kind of excited me, not because I want controversy or not because I'm looking for arguments, but because it was a way to get in front of people who didn't agree with me. Um, maybe I was naive for thinking they would come a little more open-minded. Now I'm looking back and I understand I was totally giving them the benefit of the doubt and giving myself the benefit of the doubt. Um, And so I was excited for this opportunity. I arrived to campus an hour and a half before the event where I was supposed to be meeting the campus police department. Um, They were supposed to meet me at this parking garage. They would go over kind of any sort of exit strategy, just the logistics of it, and then they would walk me over to the event. And so I get to the parking garage the campus police never show up. Um, so I, I just figured, you know, not a big deal. This is an hour and a half before the event. They will probably show up to the, the venue and we'll talk then. So I walk over to the venue. It's on the third floor of the building um, in this hour and a half. No one, no police department shows up. But again, I was naive, but I thought I, I just didn't think it was a big deal. Um, I thought the protesters, you know, if people are protesting, of course, I respect their right to do so. And that's not something that bothers me. If it's something as simple, having signs, uh, maybe some heckling, of course, nothing turning physical. But I understand that's totally that's their right to do just as uh, just as it's my right to be there speaking. Um, Mm -hmm. So about 30 minutes before the event, people start filtering in and very quickly within 60 seconds, the room has reached maximum capacity. Um so there was only standing room and the administrators who were there they stopped letting people in for fire safety and things like that and so the hallway was beginning to fill. And so in the room there was about 50-50 supporters versus protesters. Um and I was able to deliver my speech. Um it was again there was some heckling. There were people who marched over to the event coming from a um a counter event where they all made signs and walked over together and different things. So there was some heckling, but the I answered some questions and things like that, and it was good, um, engaging. But then it was only after the event where everyone stood up to leave, an ambush of people rushed into the room. And when I was delivering so, my speech...
0: So they were out, an ambush of people that were outside, correct. rushed into the room. Correct. Okay.
1: And when I was delivering my speech, I could hear them in the hallway, and there was hundreds of people in the hallway. And I could hear one side of the hallway yell, trans rights are under attack, and then the other side would... Um, yell back. What do we do? We fight back. And so I could hear it and it was of course unnerving, but again, it never occurred to me that it would remotely turn violent, but these ambushers, they enter the room, they turn off the lights, they flicker the lights, they rush to the front. Um, this is when, um, both myself and members of the room were assaulted essentially. An officer comes up and grabs me, to which, again, I had no idea there was an officer in the room. This officer, she was not wearing anything indicating she was a police. Her face was covered by a mask. And she grabs me and says, come with me. I'm I'm the police. And I was, I didn't believe her. Um, There was nothing indicating she was an officer. And so I was very reluctant to kind of follow her. But truthfully, I had no choice. And so she led me out of the room, to which we went to the hallway. And we were only met with um, more protesters. The stairway was blocked off. Um, so that's when we ultimately had to go to a separate room along that hallway where I was essentially barricaded and, truthfully, kidnapped for three plus hours. Um, I missed my flight home. These protesters were yelling horrible, awful, violent, vengeful, yeah. hateful things at both myself and the officers for three hours.
0: So they stood out in that hallway outside of the room you were put into for over three hours yelling this stuff.
1: They did. Um, They were yelling things such as to the officers, they would say, you know, you're only protecting her because she's white. They were yelling things such as you, you should have known what you were getting yourself into when you came here. You knew we would riot. You asked for this. Um, They Mm. were yelling things such as, um, you know, what they wanted to do to me. Open that door and let her out and let us handle her. Which in those moments, I mean, you truthfully do fear for your life just knowing what they wanted to do to you, what they would have done to you had you not been protected by
0: the officers who... And and these officers that were in the room with you, what were they doing? Were they calling for any kind of backup to come clear this hallway out? (laughs) The officers did a... Of course, I always
1: respect law enforcement and I think their job is admirable um, to the highest degree, but these officers, they were supposed to lock the doors at a certain point so um, no one could enter the building after the event had started. They didn't lock the doors. And when I asked them, you know, why didn't you guys lock the doors? They told me, well, there's a lot of doors. <laughs> I said, okay, well, aren't there a lot of officers? Um, they were terrified to do their job and assert any kind of force because these these protesters, again, I could hear them yelling things. Um, you're racist. You hate the LGBTQ community. You're a homophobe. And so these officers, they didn't want to put themselves in that position where they're being accused yeah. of these things. So therefore, they would rather... Um, not effectively do their job, which ultimately was why I was at risk for my safety.
0: What finally made these people dissipate? Was it just enough time passed? They, were, they knew they weren't going to get anywhere, and so they left? Or how did it happen?
1: They had to, the campus police department had to call the city of San Francisco Police Department. Um, ultimately, again, three and a half hours later, they showed up and they were able to more effectively create an exit strategy. Um, when we left, the protesters were... Of course, still in the hallway, um, these officers, they, they, there was probably 20 of them. They formed a diamond type shape around me and we essentially pushed through the protesters to get outside where we were only met with more protesters. And it was at this point we had to start running because they were chasing us. Um, I eventually got to a car. There was no, um, police escort. There was no police who checked up on me after. There was no police who followed me to make sure I safely made it off of campus Um, so it was, it was interesting to say the least. Uh,
0: And what is the state, the status of any legal action you might take against the university?
1: Um, that is in process. I have officially announced that I will be pressing charges against everyone who committed a crime that evening, whether that be students directly, whether that be the administration who has since come out and, um, really doubled down on their stance. They applauded the bravery of their students who uh, ambush me um, so there will be legal action and that's in process
0: yeah, It's so brave for a mob to go after a, a one woman. It's so brave <laughs> for a mob to get together and sh- shout obscenities at a woman, a single woman who had no, yeah, that was so brave. Uh, I think you were the brave one in this instance. I think most people agree with that. They, Your following on Twitter has like quadrupled since the last time I talked to you. People are in admiration. You're getting a lot of support. And, and I asked you this when you and I have messaged in the past, you know, whether you felt like you were getting more support or more of this, this backlash. And, you know, as you weigh it now, net, net, how do you sense the world on this issue? Are you getting more support? Do you feel like people are on your side or is there enough of a wave of the, the other side that you feel like this is going to be a long slog?
1: Just as you would expect, just as anyone with a brain would expect, the overwhelming majority of not just female athletes, the overwhelming majority of the general public, even the overwhelming majority of solely within the Democratic Party, they agree with this. They know men should not compete in women's sports. It's simple. And just as you mentioned, the San Francisco incident, it really backfired on these protesters because it showed, of course, my social media following, following um, it skyrocketed. Um, it really only gave me more credibility, and it showed how unhinged these people will become. And it truthfully highlighted perfectly why I'm doing what I'm doing. Why I'm it seems as if I'm a lone voice in this. When in regards to That's, other athletes. that is
0: a weird thing, Riley. I do want to get into that. This notion that of being a lone voice. Now, Megan Kelly. A extremely popular podcaster and she's got the show on Sirius XM. She's, she's been behind you a thousand percent. She took a picture of herself this weekend wearing a red hat that said, make women female again. <laughs> and uh, you know, there have been a lot of voices that have spoken out. I'm just surprised that they're, that they are not being amplified as much. I, I wonder what you think of the fact that you do seem like this lone warrior out there.
1: It's, um again, being in the same situation firsthand where I dealt with the administration's trying to silence you, the NCAA desperately trying to silence you, coaches, I, I saw that with my own eyes. And so I understand to a degree why it feels as if I'm a lone voice, um, because I know these girls are terrified. They are told awful things, Leah Thomas's teammates in, in particular, which I've talked to at great lengths. And just actually this week, one of them messaged me and said she's ready to come out and use her 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 name and her voice and her face behind this issue, which is huge. Um, So stay on the lookout for that. That'll be really exciting. But these girls, they're told, you know, if you feel uncomfortable, and I swear I have a screenshot of their administration responding to them in an email saying this, if you feel uncomfortable seeing male genitalia in the locker room, here are counseling resources that you should seek. They were told that they can't take a stance because their school has already taken their stance for them. They are told, you'll never get a job, you'll never get into grad school, you'll lose your friends, you'll lose your scholarship if you speak up. These girls, they were forced to go to mandatory LGBTQ meetings every week to learn about how just by being cisgendered they were oppressing Leah Thomas. And so these girls, they're emotionally blackmailed, they're terrified, they're scared, they're... um, silenced into submission is what it is and so and again they see what happens to me when i go to san francisco they see the um the backlash that i receive online again i don't know if they're accurately seeing all the support because again the support is tenfold but those comments those those negative things said about you they weigh on people a lot more than the positive do and these girls they just don't have the confidence and the security and the leadership to put themselves in that position but i'm hopeful that the tides are turning, and more and more parents, more and more coaches, we need more men, even, to stick up for female athletes, and I'm I'm confident that that's coming.
0: We recently saw an NFL uh, uh, front office guy, or I can't remember if he was a GM or a yes. coach, uh, that wore a sweatshirt about protecting women's sports, and I I retweeted it. You tweeted it. I know it was. It, it I have goosebumps thinking about totally. it because we need that so much from so many people at other levels. I mean, you're, you're out there fighting this fight and you talk about the confidence and the security that you, you need to do this. I just, um, do you ever get afraid? (laughs) You know, really? No, it's
1: kind of a blessing, but I'm so grounded in my support system, my family, my husband, my teammates, my teammates, of course they, they agree (laughs) Hundred percent with what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I'm grounded in my faith. My faith is something that keeps me strong. It allows me in, to endure um, what I'm going through, what we as female athletes are going through. Um, my favorite verse is Romans eight eighteen, which has been applicable my whole life through swimming and everything. It's for our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And I just look at that verse now. Again, it's been my favorite my whole life, but it's so true even for for this instance. Um, yes. Some of the negatives, um, they're definitely there. They definitely have an effect, but it's not worth comparing to the changes that can and will and are being made to protect girls and women.
0: I mean, it—it it is amazing to me that here we are in the year 2023, and we're having to defend <laughs> women's rights that were established 50 years ago. It, this, this, This idea that we can – take someone who was born a male and compete all their lives as a male. And suddenly within a year say, you know what, they've taken enough of the medication or whatever it is. You know, and, and Leah Thomas herself has come out recently and said that you and people like me were misogynists because we see this, you know, we can accept her as a woman in her life, but not in the pool. And therefore somehow that's misogynistic (laughs) you had to have heard that appearance on a podcast from Leah and lost your mind. What, what was your reaction?
1: It just blows my mind. Truthfully, when I hear that, um, what I see the words that come to mind is entitlement. It's narcissism. It's, um, putting your own feelings, your own safety, your own privacy, your own fairness, your own dignity, your own mental health. I could go on, um, above every single other person's knowing you're the one affecting all of those, all of those things for the majority of the population. Women, on their, it makes up 51% of the world. Um, Leah knew by competing with us that we were uncomfortable in the locker room. Leah knew that we were giving up our opportunities to someone who would have never um, earned these same accolades in the men's division, yet didn't care. It just shows an utter disregard f- for women. Um, it's, it's, that's what misogyny is, um, feminism and and sex-based terms. They're not fluid. These aren't terms that just get to change based on, um, how you're feeling. And so to totally change what the feminist movement is and what the feminist movement was started for, um, what it represented in the nineties, what it really represented up until what, three, maybe years ago. I, I think COVID was a big turning point for a lot of this stuff.
0: Yeah, um, I agree
1: these terms don't change. You don't get to change them just because you feel like it. Um, so now I, I guess I do consider myself a feminist, which was something I never would have considered before. And so I kind of deem it as a, um, I call it a modern day feminist, which just means women deserve respect. We deserve equal opportunity and we don't deserve to be overshadowed, overlooked um, by men um, and the farce of being
0: a woman.